Welcome to the Litigation Psychology Podcast, brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Dr. Steve Wood with me, Dr. Bill Kanaski. Bill, how's it going? Looks like you're back in the studio. Back in the studio. Had to kick a bunch of teenagers out of here. This is not going well, I'm telling you. I mean, I love having the, the boy back, but it's like a frat house over here. <laughs> it still stinks. It still stinks. I got him to clean up a little bit, but man, it's... uh. It just smells like dirty feet in here. No more Chick-fil-A boxes stacked up. Um, they um, not. There's one right there. There's one right there in the garbage can. It's like I have a little garbage can for like a little garbage can for like paper by the desk. That's not a garbage can you put food in. And right now I got Gatorade bottles, a, a milk carton. That's nice. That's what uh, that'll be good in about a week. Candy wrappers. You just wait till my uh, my ant problem starts happening. Jeez. <laughs> It's awful. So yeah, back in the back in the studio, but um, it's still not exactly where I want it to be. Well, glad to have you back today. We're gonna we're we're gonna come on and talk more about our cognitive distortions. Uh, build on upon them what we did on part one, where we talked about one through five, and we'll get through some more today. But yeah. I know you got something on your mind as always, right? Yeah, I got a, I got a couple things on my mind, um, and it's it's really about wasted time. Do you ever like? Do you ever just think like from an existential point of view, like just think about how much time you, you, you waste. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really big deal. And then as you start aging, you're like, God, I want to make the most of it. You know, things like that. You know, two things, um, it happened recently and I'm trying to not waste time. Some of this is like friendly stuff. For example, um, like people you email with, you know how many times like the whole, please, Thank you. You're welcome. Email. Are you aware of how much of your inbox is taken up by two word emails? Thank you. You're welcome. I'm sure there's a lot. Oh, okay. The response that says, okay. I it's like, look at the email. I mean, literally there's a string of, there's a string of 10 of them, right? You can eliminate four of them. 40%, by the way. That you could be what? doing something else, not replying. Yeah, someone says, so, okay, so with your etiquette, your email etiquette, if somebody says thank you, I just move on. I, I don't I don't reply and say you're welcome, do you? No, not really, no. Because that's it's too much. But then we have these you're welcome. I, I don't know what to label. I guess you're welcome, people. They, you're welcome. And then if I put, now, I, now if I don't respond with they, no problem. You see where the awkwardness gets here? Yeah, I don't know what yeah. the etiquette is. I try to email like a CEO at this point in my life. I'm like, yes, no, goodbye. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't want more emails. I'm certainly not going to write much of my emails. Um, that's just one waste of time. But the, the real, the real part about this rant, um, and I, I cannot wait to get your thoughts on this. Speaking of waste of time, um, last night was the uh, uh, MLB uh, All Star Game. And the one thing I will give the MLB, they actually play the game. Like from a competitive standpoint, relative to the other sports, they 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 actually play the game. Uh, I still didn't watch it. I watched the first inning because it was at Dodger Stadium, which I think is cool. Do you know that the All-Star game hasn't been there since for like 50 years or something like that? Insane. I, was, I was shocked. So it's a great stadium, though. It's a great stadium, and um, Dodger Stadium looked fantastic. And uh, I think the American League pulled out three to two. But there's something on that game, right? It's the uh, which is kind of crazy, actually. It's just a, it's the home field advantage for the World Series, right? Right. So you see some now. May, so 
is it a waste of time to play the game? Well, they've put some reward on it, so I don't think that's a waste of time. But I mean, have you watched a recent NBA All-Star game or even worse, the ultimate worst, the NFL All-Pro game? I, I stopped watching. I actually I've gone to Hawaii oh and God. watched the, the, the Pro Bowl, but I, have, I haven't watched it much lately. How they charge people to go into that. And the NBA is even, even worse. Like the score of the All-Star game, like 240 to 210. Yeah. Right. Nothing going on there. But why now? And in the, in the college ranks, right? If you do really well, like you're all conference, right? All American. And what do they do? They give you a, a plaque or whatever. You get your name. They don't play a game. You right? I mean, am I am I off? Why can't why can't the NFL just say, you know, hey, you made the Pro Bowl. Congratulations. Here's your bonus. You know, but they go out there on the. It's just it's a, it's an utter waste of time and. um it's for the fans, uh, Bill. It's for the fans. Is it really though? <laughs> is it real? I'm going nowhere with this argument. I'm just saying all-star games should just be eliminated. They've wanted to eliminate the, uh, the NFL pro bowl for some time. Um, Goodell won't have any of that. Um, it's dumb. No, they don't even tackle. They should just make it flag football. There you go. That's what they should do. And at least they would, you know, they, they would do something. But, uh, but yeah, let's get into these cocktails because I'm, I'm going to lose my mind here. So, and if I email you and say thank you, please don't. Or if I don't say thank you, don't take that personally. I'm just trying to save you some time. Well, I appreciate it. This is absolutely good. This could be the worst rant ever. <laughs> <laughs> let's save the listener some time and dive into. Okay, speaking of waste of time would be <laughs> this rant. Uh, okay, let's get back in the cognitive distortions. Uh, I got my list up now. Some of these are very close to each other, and and but but they are they, they are distinct. So we have to we have to, uh, you know, when we give examples here, we have to be careful. But um, number five, um, uh, catastrophizing. We didn't do catastrophizing last time, did we? I think we just did one through four. I thought we did one through five, but did we do I, one through five? I th- I think maybe we did do one through five. Well, yeah, we did. Five is yeah, five is catastrophizing. There you go. Uh, now, I I think it's worth repeating catastrophizing because it happens so often. Oh my gosh, yeah, all these yeah you know, negative facts in the case, extreme anxiety, and uh, you know that witness just overvalues the negative. Yeah, I think we ended on that last time. Uh, yeah. But let's go to number six. Number six, personalization. Now, personalization is a cognitive distortion where, and this this get, this can get really bad, Steve. Where the uh, it sounds it sounds like it is the uh, your witness in the case takes the litigation personally, right? Uh, they think the plaintiff is coming after them personally, and they really forget that it's this is more of a money grab. Um, they really really uh, feel that the, either the plaintiff themselves or the plaintiff attorney is specifically out to get them and just ruin their lives yeah. as opposed to going, you know, for the insurance money. And uh, um, the, I, I find these witnesses to be really difficult uh, to work with. I've, I've seen this a lot, ready for I've seen this a lot in um, um, kind of more small town America. You know, we do med, I mean, we do med mal cases in small towns. Why? Because you got an OB in every, if it does just, you know, you don't have to be in a metropolitan uh, you know, place. Uh, you can be in a uh, small town uh, somewhere and there's still, there's still med mal litigation. There's still product liability, still employment lawsuits, but in small town litigation where everybody knows everybody, 
um, I see this happening. And I, I had this case in uh, Indiana where this doctor got sued, um, you know, by somebody he's like, he's known for 30 years. And he was, he was epically like, I can't, but like, you know, they're jealous of me and they want to ruin my business and really had nothing to do with, uh, with medicine. Steve, how do you typically handle uh, these types of witnesses that they just take it really, really personally when in most cases it's more of a money grab. Yeah. I mean, to your point there, those are one of the more difficult ones to train because they're hyper emotional, yeah. hyper angry. And they're, they're the ones that no matter how much you tell them, don't take the bait, don't take the bait. They want to take the bait. And anytime we're talking about threat facts or anytime we're talking about anything negative, they instantly want to go into this fight or flight mode and, and get upset and frustrated so, I mean, I think the best way to do that, obviously, is, as we always talk about, kind of letting them dump their emotions first yeah. and then start slowly starting to build them up and then essentially show them how this is really a money grab and get them to understand yeah. this is a money grab. And if you play into that emotion, if you play into that anger and aggression that you have towards them, they're going to succeed in essentially ruining your life and they're going <laughs> to succeed in taking a lot of money out of your pocket or the, the hospital's pocket or the company's mm -hmm. pocket, whoever it is. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, something that doesn't happen a lot, but when it happens, talk about, you know, taking something personal is that, you know, the plaintiff is allowed to show up to the yeah. deposition. It rarely, rarely happens. But man, when it does, um, that, that's really, really hard for the defendant. So defense need to be ready for that, even though it typically doesn't happen. <clears throat> but th there are cases in which that does happen. Yeah, I can um, think of one right off the top of my head I just yeah. did recently where the the plaintiff was almost surely going to show up. And yeah, once yeah. the witness found out, then obviously the tone changed a little bit different, saying, really, <laughs> they're going to be there? And they say, yeah, you're going to have to testify and you're going to have to push back on issues that plaintiff counsel brings up when the person is essentially to the left of you in your eyesight when you're mm -hmm. being deposed. Yeah, that's, that is hard. And you know, the other thing I've seen here, uh, which we, I don't think we've ever talked about this, is um a adverse co-defendant making it personal now i see that happen a lot particularly or an expert or or it's an expert witness making it personal because a lot of times it's a it's a turf battle right between particularly in medicine um where you have one cardiologist going up against another cardiologist. so so there are areas here where um the personalization part is really illogical However, I can see some instances where it's a little bit more logical, particularly if it's a co-defendant and there may be more of a uh, kind of a um, one person's trying to eat into another person's business. It, it can get that way. So I think number six, and I think this one's a little tricky, but I think in most cases uh, it's irrational. So again, yeah, we need to reframe that. Reframe it with the witness saying no. That's not what this is about. You know, this is really about um, a financial gain here. It's not about ruining your life or keeping you up until 3.30 in the morning every night. And uh, again, talk to that witness. Uh, number seven, um, blaming, 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 blaming. This occurs when the witness, uh, and boy, we've seen so many of these. <laughs> yeah. The witness just, re just refuses to take responsibility for any of their own actions. And I mean, just blames anybody and everybody else. I mean, Others at the company, the plaintiff, a, a, a empty chair, third party, and just absolutely refuses to even acknowledge 
um, that they did anything, much less anything, um, you know, uh, wrong. And they just deflect, deflect, deflect. Um, it's my experience that, that, that jurors don't like witnesses that are finger pointers. What do you think, Steve? Uh, that's about one of the worst things <laughs> that they can do. I mean, talk about <laughs> pissing off a jury is get a bunch of people up there and have them start finger pointing at everyone else and trying to throw all of their, you know, all of their co colleagues underneath the bus and, and trying to get themselves to save their own skin. I mean, it looks horrible. <laughs> it's one of the worst things. And I, I think plaintiff counsel would love nothing more to than to do that, which is why we always talk about when we work with witnesses Yeah, is unless there's some strategic advantage that we're not seeing or that, you know, the, the, the client wants to do stay the heck away from any sort of finger pointing. I tell you what, and it happens. So, I mean, boy, there is this temptation to blame the plaintiff yeah. where we have, and I think what you have to do here is educate the witness to say, Hey, we have an expert that will come in and do all the blaming. Why? That's the expert's job. You, we don't want you doing the blaming, but I find that witnesses really struggle with this uh, because they're emotional. Um, and and it, it kind of mixes with number six. They, they take it very personally and then they want to fire back blame. And in some of these cases, Steve, the wit, I mean, the, the plaintiff should be, should be a target of culpability. Um, but the fact witness needs to understand it's not their job to do the finger pointing. We will have an expert come in and do that for them. So blaming's a blaming's a big one, and it can yeah. go again. It could go within, but it could also go across the table at the plaintiff. Uh, let's see. That's not. Let's see. That's number um, seven. Number eight. Uh, labeling. You know, it's <laughs> so yeah, plaintiff counsel trying, they're trying to label the witness as it is, right? Label them as inaccurate or careless or reckless or, you know, negligent, <laughs> whatever. But then you get witnesses, particularly where cases where maybe a mistake was made, it does not automatically mean negligent, but then they start with the, the this kind of irrational labeling of their own behavior and they start name calling to themselves right you know uh you know i'm an idiot you know i'm a terrible person i'm incompetent i don't know what i'm doing i blew it i'm the worst employee ever and boy that just that's a downward spiral and and we're talking about this typically this can often happen when it's it's one like, you know, a, a nurse doesn't document something in the chart, one thing. And then before, you know, you know, I'm the worst nurse in the world, blah, 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 blah. And then it just does not stop. Steve, what, what are your thoughts on this? Because I find that, you know, once a witness starts <laughs> calling themselves names, that's that's a deep hole for them to get out of. And I, I prefer not to let them get there and get there in the first place. Yeah. And there's been times I've actually stopped just the training and I've spent probably an hour, hour and a half with this witness, almost having like a therapy session with them and having to kind of re-coach them to make them <laughs> see that the mistake that they made was not the end-all be-all mistake. And yeah. they were operating off of the information that they had at the time. And it was the best decision they could make at the time. And sure, you can look back at it and make different decisions. You know, you just have to get them to a point where they see and essentially don't buy into the plaintiff's idea of the woulda, coulda, shoulda 
you know, if you just did yeah. this or that, this whole thing would have been avoided. And most of that is all purely speculative anyway. So you just got to help them understand that they're not bad. They're not, they're not a terrible person. And had they done it differently, there's no guarantee that the outcome would have been different at all. Yeah. And I, I think the, this labeling is really, um, when they start actually calling themselves names, uh, I think it's the worst of the worst. That That's yeah. somebody that's really, really down on themselves. And these are the types of witnesses that I think um, fall on the sword pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, will admit negligence, even though negligence may not really be there, or causation. I think that's the problem here. Uh, you know, nurses are the worst, but we see it in other cases, is where... Um, there may be something that went wrong. And, and you, we always talk about how the jurors always jump from, right? They go from negligence, right? to damn, They just assume causation. Well, so do the damn witnesses, yeah. right? And so you get a witness and it's like, okay, well, you, you didn't do X, Y, or Z. And then the witness themselves start, they start assuming causation. And so we spend all this time trying to help attorneys create arguments to explain causation to jurors. And thing is, you got to make the same arguments to convince your own damn witness. Otherwise, the witness, you know, once they start calling themselves names because they made a mistake, I mean, they're just going to cave on on causation, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're not, like you said, they're going to feel, they're going to feel cathartic, right. To say, yep, you're yeah. right. I'm going to fall on the sword and take all the blame and make themselves feel better. But like you said, it's, it's Man. water. They don't need to carry. It's, you know, beating themselves up for something that they don't need to beat themselves up for. Yeah. Yeah. So what, yeah. Watch out. If you see that witness calling themselves names and kind of really beating themselves up, that is a big time problem. Number nine, uh, always being right. Oh, never seen this before. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, now, this is related to one of our previous ones, but again, this this occurs when the witness has the emotional need to be right or to have an answer to everything. Now, again, you know, this tends to happen with those um, high level executives, uh, CEOs, C level executives, supervisors. <clears throat> Uh, uh, high level physicians, surgeons, right? Where it's just, they got to be right. I mean, you can show them it's wrong and they will argue with you and they have to have an answer for everything. And no witness in any litigation has the answer for every single question, number one. And number two, um, there is no perfect conduct and you know i think uh, particularly um there's a sense of uh you know threat here uh when you have these powerful people they're being threatened by plaintiff's counsel and the uh there's this kind of occupational need right for these witnesses I mean, everybody looks up to these people right they right. gotta be right right but then they drag that into uh, litigation uh, can be a, a, a big uh, a big problem. Uh, you, you see this a lot with the uh, higher level corporate people. Steve? Yeah, definitely the the higher level ones, and yeah. they're always the ones that are the most susceptible to when plaintiff counsel pushes back and says, "Wait, so let me get this straight. You're <laughs> you know, you're the thirty b six witness, or you're the CEO of this company, and you're telling me you don't know the answer to this? 
I mean, this is a simple question. Yeah. You're telling me you don't know the answer. And, you know, the more they push, the more that, you know, you get those people to then just go ahead and offer up the information because, you know, they're used to being the ones that are supposed to have the answers and there's an expectation that they're supposed to have the answers. Or if they don't, they feel like there's an expectation that they have to go out and find it. So that's why sometimes you'll get that yeah. too, is I don't know, but I can get that answer for you. Well, no. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah not, that's right. Now, 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 remember, number one on this list is polarized thinking. And this is very similar because that, remember, that's the type of witness that has to be perfect with their testimony, right? This is a little bit different because this is the need to be right. And not everybody's right. And yeah. this, you know, these people will argue with you, even if you present something that's counter to their argument, that's factual, they will argue with you. Um, and they got to be right. And they have to have an answer to everything. It's really, really dangerous. Again, it's mostly with those higher level people. And again, the cognitive reframe there is to make them understand, well, A, it's not necessary to be right with everything. Uh, number two, you know, it, that's not very believable to jurors. I don't think jurors like those types of people that are always right. They, yeah, they, they know they it all. Yeah. So there's a difference between Mr. and Mrs. Perfect versus Mr. and Mrs. Right. Yeah. And that's the difference between number one and number nine here. This is more of a being correct about everything or having that correct answer every time. Um, and regardless, even if you don't have the answer, it's okay not to know something, folks. It's okay not to know. <laughs> there are other witnesses, but man, yeah, that can be a tough one. And then finally, number 10, and then we'll pick up with 11 next time, um, um, using should statements. This is, yeah, this is terrible, Steve. We're going to end with this one, but this is bad. Uh, what you and I, uh, would 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 call you know blame issues here um when the witness falls into the trap of second guessing themselves uh bad bad things happen i mean bad things happen we you and i call this like the rest of the world the whole monday morning quarterback effect right yeah <laughs> and you know you know that's that's why you know radio tell you know, monday mornings i mean every particularly in the fall, right? Every sports radio show, they're, they're second guessing everything that every coach did all day Saturday and all day Sunday. And um, that's what people do too. That's how their brains are wired. And this can get really dangerous because, I mean, a really good plaintiff attorney can manipulate a witness into admitting liability. And I see this a lot with witnesses that feel guilty about what yeah, if there's a bad outcome, right? Yeah. Uh, and they feel guilty about what happened. Um, and they want to say that they should, they, remember, you can always do something more. You can always do something faster. You could always do something better. You could always do something different. And it's like, it makes them feel better to say that, but, but that could add gazillions of dollars to the case, right? Yeah, it doesn't, I mean, it, it doesn't help for you to, to go ahead and admit liability just because you believe it. I mean, and that's, yeah. So the word, I mean, particularly in deposition, you know, when you get the, well, you should have done this and you should have done that. Boy, that answer better be no. The answer that the witness needs to understand and say, Hey, um, yeah. Now, could you have a bit major difference between could and should, right? Yeah. I mean, could you have done X instead of Y? Well, yeah, of course. 
Okay. But, and, and the answer really is once it starts going down the line is, you know, I did X because I felt that was the most appropriate decision at the time based on what I knew, right? Depending on those circumstances. Um, the problem is this hindsight bias is witnesses look back. Oh no, I blew it. Oh shit. You know, I should have did Y. I should have did Z instead of X. And um, I don't think the, I mean, Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think witnesses understand the legal implication of saying yes to should have questions. I don't know. They, they, <laughs> they don't No, They say nuclear bomb. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's easy to your point about going back and always, everybody always wants to second guess their behaviors yeah. and everybody wants to go back. And it, to your point, it's a cognitive mistake to think that the outcome yeah. once it's, you've already seen what the outcome is to believe that that probability of that outcome was going to be, a lot higher than what it was. It's only yeah. that you're operating off of the fact that you know that that's actually what the outcome was. To, to your point, right? The whole football Monday morning quarterback, you know, Bill Belichick has how many years experience <laughs> yeah, no. all in plays and this, that, and the other. He's yeah. using his down distance percentages, his years of experience to make a, a decision that may or may not work. But at the end of the day, he was using all those factors to make that decision. Same thing with a physician or someone else or a nurse who's been using yeah. 20 years of their information that they have to make a decision. Yeah. I think the worst one was the, um, <laughs> uh, which is still painful for any um, uh, Seattle fan, but the Seahawks, yeah. when they threw, I mean, you're running Marshawn Lynch, he's getting 10 yards to carry. And then they throw the ball, throw the pick on, on, on the goal line. And, and boy, uh, Pete Carroll got just absolutely blasted for that. But to this day, and the he he said, he said, I don't regret making that call. We, we saw them make some adjustments to Lynch. And we saw the film. We thought, we thought based on what we were seeing, that was going to be a really good play for us. And it turned out not to be, but I don't regret running that play whereas the other seven million people are saying why in the world did you throw the ball you know he never budged but i think that's what the witness needs to do is this, they need to do the p carroll saying listen i i ran the play that was appropriate at the time it didn't yeah. it didn't work out you know it didn't work out could i have run a different play absolutely should i have no I stick by my decision. And that's, I think that's really, really tough for witnesses in the face of a bad outcome, yeah. in the face of a bad outcome. And um, that's the problem there is witnesses don't want to say, you know, I stick with my decision. Cause then the follow question is, wait, now, wait a second. Yeah, you see the outcome here, right? Car accident, trucking, wh whatever, med mal um product whatever it is yeah you see the outcome here you're still telling me you stick with your decision and the witness has to have the mental and the emotional fortitude to say yeah that's that's exactly what i'm saying um but boy yeah. you get some of that emotion in there and that guilt particularly guilt that's when i see a lot of witnesses break down and they, yeah i guess you're right i should have done. and then before you know it those are million million billion sometimes billion dollar answers that uh, can lead to real trouble well i think to go back and to use the pete carroll example and the seahawks example what if they would have stacked the box they would have ran marshawn yeah. lynch and they would have stuffed him then we would have been and he fumbled. what if he would have fumbled any yeah what if he would have fumbled i mean this is um i mean yeah i know and so there's a lot that could have happened so i think working with witnesses 
um, from an emotional standpoint, to be emotionally okay with those answers is really important because what's going to happen is they may have the strength to say no to those questions. No, I don't think I should have done something else. I, I stick with what I did based on those circumstances. The problem is, you know, they're going to get pushed out of this petition and some emotional attacks coming. The witness needs to be trained to be consistent, stick with that answer and not bend. Okay. Yeah. So we're through, what number was that? Was that? That was uh, 10. We are through. That one was through 10, 10. So we got, so we got um, 11, 12 and 13 coming up next time. Um, but again, all of these, I know some of these sound like they overlap and maybe they even do to an extent, but they do have um, their distinct, uh, you know, factors. And I think these are really important for defense counsel to, as they're assessing their witnesses, to try to you know um tap into some of these to see if some of these cognitive distortions uh exist because if they do can have a drastic impact on the quality of the testimony uh, yeah and i think one other thing that we we talk about consistently and i think i'll harp on now and probably mention again while we're wrapping up this uh, next time but all of this shows that the whole idea of meeting with witnesses an hour before the deposition or meeting with them for a couple hours it's just yeah. not going to be i mean witnesses need to be prepared to spend yeah. a significant portion of time getting trained right because that's what we said if you had any of these emotional issues you're going to have to spend at least an hour hour and a half getting rid of those before you even get into the training so the idea of an hour or two hours is just not going to be sufficient it's not going to be successful and i've seen again i hear so many witness i hear so many defense counsel you know say i've worked hours with this witness and they're working on the, the the file the documents right and yeah that's really really important all this stuff we're talking about has nothing to do with document review right they get a perfect document review and really really bomb at depth or trial a hundred percent due to psychological issues that we've been talking about cognitive issues emotional issues behavioral issues that's what's tanking the testimony it's not very rarely is it a lack of preparation now when you get that kind of former employee right eh, yeah they may not be coming prepared you know they're coming in double middle finger <laughs> yeah <laughs> screw you right they may not be but in the vast majority of cases you don't see unprepared witnesses on case content right in document area you see them psychologically unprepared and that's where we come in. And again, those those factors, um, if they're exploited, could cost millions and millions and millions of dollars. But if they're assessed right and fixed, can save millions and millions of dollars. And so exactly. that's why what we do is so important, right, Steve? Yep. So, um, and then we'll make sure, like I said, we'll come back. We'll finish out with 11 yeah. through 13 on another episode. And uh, hopefully we can help to alleviate some of these nuclear verdicts and help witnesses not step in it and cause a lot more problems than they need to <laughs> and speaking of nuclear hey i'm in florida but you're in texas i heard a rumor today that you tell me this is i heard the temperature in texas today like north of dallas 100 195 degrees is that true 195 it feels like 195 it, yeah. 195 <laughs> that was like the heat i'm just kidding i was like 109 it is though yeah, so, i mean it's horrible yeah you don't, it's, it's, you don't want to go outside. It's oppressive heat. So that's, that's really, really bad. I mean, it's see Florida. We're so humid. 
it really it doesn't it rarely breaks 100 so you know we'll be like between that you know 92 and 96 and you walk out to get your mail you come in you're soaking wet um you know that type of stuff it rains every day between two and four but man a real i mean 108 109 110 one i've been reading stuff on that that cannot be good can't be good for your pet right no it's not they they stay out they stay inside and then they go out for about two minutes and then they come back in man so i'm gonna rant on pets next week oh i wait till next week i have a an epic rant on pets because I got my, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not, I was going to say it's, it. We'll, it's leave, a, it, we'll it's, leave them with tease of next week's I'm rant. just going to, I'm just going to leave it at this. Pets are very expensive and I'm going to go over, I'm going to go over some of my shopping list items and what they cost, including my vet bill. And it's going to, you thought kids were expensive? Ha <laughs> <laughs> well, That I, is a good, it's, it's astronomical. That is a good segue into to next week's then. So we'll leave yeah. it at that. Thanks for joining. This has been another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. (laughs) 